You're listening to Sourced with Stu Finer. to roll with podcast number seven and thank you again for joining us at source with Stu finer and i know how competitive my industry is or in general the podcast industry is so thank you so much for coming to see me coming to listen to me coming to watch me coming to spend your precious time with me. I don't take it for granted. I know how busy I am, and I know how busy you are, and I hope you find me entertaining, and I've got only positive feedback so far for the first six, so number seven should be no different. Now, I'm wearing my Run Stew shirt, as you can see, and the Run Stew shirt signifies a lifelong dream for me. I'm running the New York City Marathon November 5th, 2017, and it was really weird how it happened. July 11th, 2017, I got deathly ill. I was running a 104.3 fever, and I run a high fever for an adult. I run like a baby. And I'm sweating my motherfucking balls off. So much so that my wife is doing four to five loads of laundry a day because I'm literally sweating through 15 sets of clothes. Like, I put on a set of clothes, I go in the bed, I sweat through my clothes, they're soaked, take off the clothes, take a shower, change the bedspreads, go back onto the fucking bed and sweat right through everything. That's July 11th. Arguably the longest motherfucking day of my entire life. I literally was hoping for fucking death. I hoped like a Yom Kippur, God closed the book on my life, fucking dead. That's how sick I was. I just did not want to live. July 12th comes, same exact fucking thing. It's like 104.7. It's going up. Sweating through my clothes. My wife sleeping next to me is getting soaked with my fucking sweat. I'm sweating through my bedspread into my $7,000 motherfucking mattress. I got one of those top mattresses that I bought like 20 years ago when that was the top mattress. I don't know what they fucking go for now. Uh, it's not a Trump mattress. I'm sure it was like 100 grand, but at the time it was a great mattress. Sweat right through the fucking thing. It's like I'm in a pool of motherfucking water. July 12th. Sandy says, my wife, you got to go to the fucking doctor. Go to the doctor. Doctor checks me out. Jesus, you're running a high fever, Stu. Probably should go to the hospital and we'll put you in. We'll do an IV. You probably got some sort of virus. We don't know what it is and it'll get better. I said, listen, fucking doc. The one thing I know is if I go into the hospital deathly sick, I'm going to die in that fucking hospital. I'm going to catch something. That was my fucking mindset. I'm going to catch something. So July 12th, I go home that night, sweat again through 15 sets of clothes, drive my wife fucking crazy. She's bitching at me. Stu, go to the doctor. Go to the fucking doctor. Find your dick. Find your balls. You're supposed to be hung like a fucking horse. Be a fucking man. Go to the doctor. I said, honey, 
I really got a real fucking bad feeling here. I'm not going to the doctor. I sweat again through all my clothes, 15 sets of clothes. And I'm not talking, I'm not exaggerating, literally 15 sets worth of clothes. Everything I own, I'm sweating through. It's fucking horrific. July 13th comes, I start shivering, I start sweating. I'm thinking about the doctor because I'm really thinking I'm going to fucking die. Get through it. All of a sudden, the fever breaks to 103.8. Day five, it goes to 103.2. Day six, 103. Day seven, I say to myself, what have I not done in my life? And the one thing I did not do is run the New York City Marathon. Now, I've been running most of my adult life. I ran in 92, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, anywhere between 250 to 500 miles over a summer. And I was going to run the New York City Marathon a couple of times, but I had a groin injury that stopped me from training hard for it. I said to myself, I'm running the New York City Marathon. So I got clean July 17th, I put it in my mind, I'm running a fucking marathon, and I couldn't get in. Marathon's closed. How do I fucking know this? The marathon's closed. You need like two years to enter the marathon, and you're never guaranteed something, a lottery, then you gotta put your name in. So I find this fund, it's called the UJA Fund, United Jewish Association Fund, where if you pay them $3,000, or if you raise $3,000, they guarantee that you will run the marathon under their organization, which is exactly what I did. So if you go to stewfinder.com and you click the link, you'll see my Run Stew shirt, which I'm selling for 25 bucks, and $10 of the $25 goes directly into the fund. I have to raise $3,000 by November 1st to run this marathon, or it comes out of my fucking pocket. So, anybody watching this right now, you got any money, buy the fucking shirt, donate to my fund. But let me tell you, July 11th, before I got sick, that morning, or really July 10th, I must have smoked at least seven blunts, I love dabs, so I was hitting like 10 dabs. I was fucking wasted. That specific night, we did a threesome, which means a threesome, when I'm talking now, not in the early years, a threesome would be that I would fuck three women, I would eat their asses, lick their clits, fuck them up their ass, and I'd have a threesome. I'd have three separate girls. I've done it. I've done it 40 times. I can do it. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I know you're jealous. It's, I'm too funny, you're fucking not. So anyway... A threesome now, when I'm 56 years old, means we go to White Castle at midnight. 2.30 in the morning, we go to Taco Bell, and we end at 5 in the morning at the fucking diner. Where at the diner, that specific morning, I had a Romanian steak, breathtaking, medium, with four eggs over easy on the Romanian steak, and mozzarella trees over the entire thing. Then I had two orders of french fries, well done, crispy, and I dipped them in brown gravy. And I had two pieces of lemon meringue pie. So that was a binge. That was a motherfucking binge. That was probably from, I would say, June 1 until July 10th, I smoked more pot than I ever smoked in my fucking life. I partied harder than I ever partied in my fucking life. Whether it was absolute vodka, Grey Goose vodka, 
Rarely do I drink beers, but a couple of times I stepped out and had like 30 fucking Heinekens in a fucking sitting. It was a fucking blaze and a blaze. June 1 to July 10th, 2017. Summer of 2017 was a motherfucking party. Now, did I get myself sick? Who knows? But that specific July 10th day, that was the peste resistance. That was probably an easy 15,000 calorie binge, easy half ounce, easy eight dabs, fucking annihilated, absolutely annihilated. So to have 104.3 fever, I guess not uncommon. I did not need my stomach pumped. I didn't have any diarrhea, which is fucking amazing. I have one of those cast iron stomachs. No matter what I eat, no matter how much I eat, I don't have diarrhea. I never throw up. I never get sick and I can handle it. So anyway, I said to myself, I'm running the New York City Marathon. So I enter with the UJA fund. I haven't even raised any money yet. I'm just starting to promote it probably like today. Maybe yesterday I put it on the website. So yesterday and today are the first times I'm actually promoting it because I figured I could raise three grand pretty fucking easy. So started training. July 20th, I started walking three miles in the morning and I put myself on a regimen which was no sugar, no white flour, which means only carbs that I ate would be whole wheat, whether it's whole wheat bread or whole wheat pasta. And then I went fruit, vegetables, and lean protein. When I go lean protein, I'm talking lean grilled chicken or chicken on the barbecue or chicken in the oven, but it's grilled and it's lean or lean fish. Lean chicken, lean fish. Or I'll eat chicken out of a can, tuna out of a can, and I go dry. When I go, I go dry. There's no dressings, there's no oils, there's nothing. Okay. And my fruit consists of grapefruits, apples, oranges, but very controlled fruits. And there's no snacking. So I put myself on roughly a 1,500 calorie a day diet. And I cut everything out of my life at that moment. I cut all marijuana, all liquor, any other drugs out of my fucking system. I drink 200 ounces of water. And at the beginning, I don't even have coffee. I have no coffee. So I'm only drinking water. There's no club soda, there's no diet soda, it's water. I start walking three miles in the morning and I start walking fast three miles at night. Within three days, I'm walking five miles in the morning and I'm running four miles at night. Within a week, I'm walking five miles in the morning, five miles at night. Within 10 days, I'm running five miles in the morning and I'm walking four miles at night. P.S. The last month, I've run over 200 miles, okay? I ran uh, an 18 as my best run, then I ran a 20 as my best run, then I ran a 14 as my best run, then I ran a... 12 is my best run. That's pretty much how I brought it up. I went 12, 14, 16, 18, 20. On Wednesday, this Wednesday upcoming, I'm running 23 miles. And how I work the week is I run a 10, couple of sixes, and I have two days off. And that's pretty much where I'm at right now. So it's been an unbelievable transformation. I went from 223 I got as low as 174. I bounced a little bit back to 179. I had a couple of slips, brought it back up to 189, but that was pretty much water weight. Back down right now to 177.4.
I would have liked to run the race at a buck 60, but I really have no time. And I can't starve myself because like last week where I ran a 16.9 and I walked 4.8, I was on the road for over four hours. I was fucking depleted. And that was the week where I really watched my food. So I can't eat too little because I have no fucking energy. Pretty much that's the bottom line. So anyway, running the New York City Marathon, run 200 miles over the last month, one of the most amazing transformations you've ever seen in your life. It normally takes you nine months to train for the marathon. Obviously, I'm gonna have about three months. Normally it takes nine, I'm doing it in less than four months because I'm Stu Fighter, nobody else fucking is. So wish me luck. Donate to my fund, please. I appreciate any money that comes my way. Thank you very much. It doesn't have to come out of my fucking pocket. And buy your Run Stew shirt. It's $25 for the shirt. $10 goes to the UJA fund the minute you purchase the shirt. So that's where we're at. 23 miles on Wednesday. Wow, wow, wow. I know I'm fucking amazing. I know it's unbelievable. And if I didn't tell you the story and you couldn't go on my Facebook timeline, my Twitter timeline, my Instagram timeline, my Snapchat timeline, and verify my transformation, you would say, Stu, you're fucking full of shit. You're a fat kike Jew, full of shit. But now you know I'm not, because you saw me on July 11th as a fat slob 223, and you saw the transformation. And I am not shy, because any of my feeds on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, I'm pretty much naked. I'm wearing nothing but underwear. And on my Snapchat at Stu Finer, you know that I take a shit every day in my $25,000 black bathroom where I have nothing on but something covering my fucking large, almost 10-inch fucking penis. Otherwise, you could see my whole body. So you could see that I have a six-pack and you could see July 11th, I was fucking morbidly obese where if I was two inches shorter, I would have been perfectly fucking round. So that's the marathon in a fucking nutshell. I'm psyched. It's a lifelong dream for me to run it. I can't say I'm going to because I have no idea. I've never ran more than 20 miles. And up until two weeks ago, I never ran more than 14 miles. So in other words, I broke the 14, then I went to 16, then I went to 18, then I went to 20. So I've had career length in running the last four weeks back to back to back to back to back. So can I run 23 on Wednesday? We will see. It's going to be super hot. Like right now, we have an Indian summer again now because we have 80 to 85 degrees. It's gorgeous outside right now. It's 80 degrees. On Wednesday, it's supposed to be 80 fucking nine degrees. So not the optimum day to try to run 23 fucking miles. But I think I'm going to have my son behind me. I run alone. I run with no music. I run with nobody. It's me and fucking God. I don't like music, I don't time myself, I don't like to talk to anybody, I just fucking go, and I go, and that's pretty much how I run. Probably running right now between a 10 minute to a 10 minute and 45 second mile. So between 10 minutes and 10 minute 45 second mile, you can say, Stu, how long is it going to take you to run the fucking marathon? Probably between 4 hours and 15 minutes to 5 hours, anywhere in that time frame because I don't know if I'm going to break down. I don't know if I'm going to get hurt. I don't know if I'm going to just run out of gas. I don't know if I'm going to have to walk or if I'm just going to be optimum psychos through final level and just fucking sprint the whole fucking thing and die at the finish line or somebody's going to have a giant blunt at the finish line ready to roll for me, burn it up, drink a bottle of grave goose and start fucking licking clit, eating ass right 
in New York fucking city. We're going to have a monster party afterwards. Love you to come down to pull me in. So at the finish line, we could burn together. We could party together. We could hug together. We could kiss together. And we could blow it fucking out. We'll obviously go somewhere. We could watch a football on Sunday, watch a Sunday night game, and party our motherfucking balls off like we've never partied before. Like it's a Caligula-type situation. Like it's a Greek or Roman situation where we're just blowing it the fuck out. So... It brings us to the story. And before we get to the story, let's just recap a little bit about football so far. Now, pretty much there's only four teams in college football that can win the national championship right now. Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and my choice, Penn State. And James Franklin showed you what a fucking psycho fuck he was, where at 56-0, he's playing some dog shit team, and he ices the kicker with 11 seconds left, and it works. Imagine icing a kicker with 11 seconds left. If I was in the stands, and I was playing against uh, Franklin, I'm going to run on the stand, run on the field with a baseball bat and cave this fucking head in. Because it was about as classless as I've ever seen anything in my life, but it shows you what a psycho Franklin is. He's an amazing coach. For my money, he's the best coach in college football. The best. He took a dog shoot organization that was in the toilet with pedophilia, with embarrassment, with shame, and put Penn State back on the fucking map. And right now, I'm behind Penn State. Nittany Lions, I think they're going to win the national championship. I think they'll be able to beat Oklahoma, beat Clemson, beat Alabama, beat Michigan, beat anybody in their way. No two ways about it. I like Penn State. Now, they're the fourth choice to win it all. So is isn't like I'm taking a 30-to-1 shot, mind you. But most people have Alabama playing Clemson again. Most people have a rematch from the 2016-17 season. And obviously that could happen. Obviously, Clemson's probably playing the best ball right now, even better than Alabama. Oklahoma's not that far behind. Penn State really hasn't had a true test yet, and they've just been humiliating teams. But I think Penn State's going to win it all, so right now, I like Penn State to win it all. But NFL right now shows you that you could absolutely pull your hair out. From one week to the next, you never really know what you're going to expect. And Thursday night has been an eye-opener, and obviously, you know me. I love the upset. I love the against the grain, against the public. I love the dog shit against the best teams. I'm on the dog shit teams. So week one, Thursday night, you had the opening game, and I told you the Chiefs would piss on the Patriots and beat them outright. They did. Okay. Week two, I told you the Texans would piss all over the Cincinnati Bengals, where you looked at me like, are you out of your fucking mind, Stu? The Texans suck dick. They look like shit in week one. They have no quarterback. They have no way. The Bengals coming off a loss, Stu, are money at home. And, of course, the Texans pissed on them. So you got murdered betting the uh, Patriots. Chiefs beat them. You got murdered betting the Bengals. Texas won. And then last night, again, same exact situation. Now, this game, Rams 49ers, on paper, looked like arguably the worst game ever in the history of the NFL. On paper, you would really have to wonder how the fuck this game ever made it to Thursday night prime time. Well, as it turns out, it was a 41-39 barn burner. It arguably was one of the most entertaining games in the history of the NFL. And I'm going to underline that. The history of the NFL. So, if you had the Rams, you thought you got fucked because the 49ers backdoored them. If you had the Rams, which... Before the game started, 
You had to bet the Rams if you had any mind at all. Any mind, Rams, 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 Rams. Better defense, better offense, pumped. 49ers look like absolute dog shit. 49ers can't even score a touchdown and up to week three, they did not have a touchdown. And then they put a 39 spot up. And even during the game, Brian Hoyer looked like Brian Hoyer. First play of the game, he threw arguably the worst interception possible. Rams went up 7-0, and it just looked like an absolute rout for the Rams. And pretty much it was a rout for the Rams, but the gambling gods don't work like that. And why I use the 49ers as my best bet, and why I'm now on a 9-1, 9-1, 9 NFL best bet run to open the 2017 season. Best in the nation, best in the world. Check it out. It's documented. I'm number one. Is because... The NFL is extremely hard to predict. It's extremely unpredictable. Now, last year was not unpredictable. For some reason, last year, God said, we're going to let every fucking sucker win. Every favorite's going to cover. On Thursday night, every favorite and over's going to come in. On Monday night, every favorite and over's going to come in. Well, last night, everybody and their mother bet the under. Of course, I had the over. Everybody was like, the Rams are going to shut them out. It's going way under the total. As they put 80 points on the board. Yes, we had the Niners as the best bet. And yes, we had a play on over the total. Over 39 each team scored over the total. So we hit the side and the total yesterday in the Thursday night game. But here's my point. New England Patriots look like dog shit against the Kansas City Chiefs. Then they come out and Tom Brady has the best game in the first quarter of his career at 40 years old. Throws three touchdowns, humiliates the Saints, and the Saints wanted to win the game more than life, and they got blown out. Then you have the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night looking like world beaters and humiliate the New York Giants. Then they go to Denver, and they get absolutely blown fucking out of the gym on both sides of the fucking ball. They looked outcoached, outclassed, and the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl behind, let's say, the Patriots and maybe the Raiders are the Cowboys. Now the Cowboys look like dog fucking shit. So you just never know. I keep hitting this. Sorry, Mr. Mike. You just never fucking know what's going to happen in the NFL. So again, if you're betting the NFL and you're not betting with someone like me, you're going to get fucking killed this year because the Thursday nights have shown you already and Monday nights have shown you already that it's not going to be last year. I don't care what you did last year. Bookmakers got killed last year. Vegas got killed last year. I had a real tough year last year. But now this year, I'm back. Bookmakers are killing. Vegas is killing. And that's why I'm 9-1, 9-1, 9-1 in the NFL. Period. Done. Check it out at StuFinder.com. My games are there for sale all the time. Okay, let's talk the story. We're going to go back to a very sensitive day. And up until this point, it was not a sensitive day. It was 2010, September 10th. And I own a score phone business that I purchased in 1994 for $4.8 million. I'm on my property right now. This is my guest cottage. And uh, it has two bedrooms, has a living room with a fireplace, has a kitchen, has a den. It's drop-dead fucking gorgeous. We're in one of the bedrooms. And I bought this house in 1990. I bought three parcels together. I bought 7.8 acres. The house sits on 2.58. I have a 1.8 acre side field where we rode horses and I lined it for a football field. And we played flag football, we played tackle football, we played sort of rough touch football for five years before I sold it. 
Then in the back, 3.2 acres, I used to park between two and 600 cars when I had anywhere between three to a thousand people at my house for an epic party. Then I built an actual baseball field, a literal actual baseball field, spent about a hundred grand, made it beautiful. It was drop dead gorgeous. It was Field of Dreams long before Field of Dreams. It was fucking beautiful. We played hardball for two years. We had teams, we had umpires, I paid for everything. That's when I was making a million plus a year, couldn't spend enough money. And one of my dreams is to be a professional baseball player. And pretty much I was probably a junior high school baseball player. I stopped at junior high school. My level really wasn't after that. I was an all-star catcher when I was like 11, 12, 13. Nothing to brag about. Had a solid arm. I could block everything. Defensively, I was great. And uh, I was a pretty solid hitter. I could hit a hard line drive. I was extremely clutch. You put people on base, I got the hit. I smashed the ball right at the pitcher's face. I smashed it over the second baseman's head. I smashed line drives up the middle. That's what I did. I didn't go 300 feet, 400 feet, but I got the job done. Loved playing baseball. I was never going to be a baseball player. So I made myself a baseball player by building a baseball field in the backyard. 1993, I have an opportunity to buy a score phone business. Um, the person who owned it from Atlanta, Georgia, was in trouble. He lost millions and millions and millions of dollars gambling. And he was up Schitt's Creek without a paddle. He was motherfucking fucked. So, sells me the business for $4.8 million. I have to put $800,000 down. So at the time, I got a map approved and I was building 11 houses in my backyard. 11 houses. I made it a cul-de-sac, the baseball field. I made it a cul-de-sac, named it after my oldest son. It's called Sean Michael Court. And we were building the houses. But I have an opportunity to buy the Scorephone business. Now, I'm advertising at the time on the Scorephone business. I'm advertising my 800 service where I run 30-second commercials, screaming about, hi, this is Stu Finer. Call me right now for my college game of the week. NFL game of the week, NBA game of the week, MLB game of the week, college basketball game of the week, blah, blah. And we get hundreds of calls. They were getting 40 million calls a year on 200 score phones in 200 different cities. We were also advertising 900 numbers inundated on the message. And we gave score, they gave at the time, wasn't mine yet, scores, odds, lines, injury, weather, key motivational factors, free selections. So, it was what the internet is today. It gave you information for free. So 40 plus million people a year called the score phone. And we had a blended feed on the scores where we were faster than every fucking score phone in the world. We were as fast as almost the live feed because we got it in real time. We had three different feeds come in. We had like AP, UPI, and then we had our own blended feed squished in. We created a computer program that put it in and spit the score out in real fucking time. And we had school phone announcers that were epic and they updated everything every five minutes, every three minutes, every two minutes. We will fucking round the clock, round the clock, round the clock. Couldn't give a score quick enough because that's what people wanted. And then every game was not on TV. You could not get scores on your phone yet. It wasn't so hot on the internet yet. We were two, three years away from the internet, five years away from being on your phone. And really, ESPN was not as fast as me. I was faster than ESPN and ESPN2, which were in their, like, 10th year. I was that fucking quick. Or the score phone network that I was buying, I should say, was that quick. They had a 10-man operation. So anyway, 
I buy the score phone. I put $800,000 down for finance $4 million over four years. I buy it. So in 1998, I owned the whole thing outright. Internet came, pretty much put me out of business, but we still had a functional business instead of me making a million to two million a year off of it. I was making a couple hundred thousand. Had a staff of 12. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. Once a month, I would go down there for a party. And we would go down and have a rah-rah meeting, look at the numbers. And these individuals, not only were they score phone announcers, but they also were handicappers. They also fed 900 numbers. And they were unique sports services onto themselves. They all worked for me. They came with the business. So once a month, we'd go down for a meeting. And we'd always go to this restaurant called McKendrick's. And McKendrick's is one of the best steakhouses you've ever seen in your life. I'm talking McKendrick's had two pound lobster tails. That was what I made everybody get for an appetizer. My bill for 10 people was close to $3,000. Close to three grand. And now, this is in 2001. So that's 3,000 in 2001, which is probably equivalent to about 6,000 in 2017. Roughly five to 600 a man, equivalent to now. Then it was like 300 a person. Start off with a two pound lobster tail, which is fucking juicy, fucking amazing. Not tough, insane. Absolutely insane. Like eating Jessica Alba's pussy. Like eating Rihanna's clitoris. You know what I'm saying? Like top of the line, like eating Shakira's ass. Like that type of top of the line. No two ways about it. No issue about it, okay? So that's how we start off. Then we start off, I make everybody get soup. So we either get the lobster bisque, we get the New England clam chowder, get the Manhattan clam chowder, get the French onion soup. One of the four. Everybody has to get that. Then we have another appetizer where then we go either jumbo lumped crab meat, shrimp cocktail, and these shrimp cocktails, these shrimps were as big as my motherfucking fist. They were amazing. Then we go salad, we either go Caesar salad, we either go Greek salad, we go house salad. And then you get your meal. And you're talking about filet mignon, you're talking porterhouse, you're talking Cajun ribeye. And I would get all the fucking potatoes. I'd go Lyonnaise potato, I'd go a gratin potato, I'd go mashed potato, I'd go French fries, I'd go baked potato, I'd go twice stuffed baked potato. And I'd get all the, all the uh, vegetables that you could fucking find in the motherfucking world. Stuffed mushrooms, cream spinach, steamed spinach, asparagus au gratin, grilled asparagus, artichoke hearts, and it would just go on and on and on. They had, they had cauliflower fried in breadcrumbs, which was fucking holy fuck amazing. I mean, anything fried in breadcrumbs is pretty much good. I would eat my own shit if it was fried in breadcrumbs because I love fried and I love breadcrumbs. And truth be told, between you and me, I love my own shit. And we'd get broccoli, you know, there'd be no, it would be like Thanksgiving for Caligula if he was going to die tomorrow. And he had unlimited bankroll. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was that type of fucking meal. Then everybody would be pretty much sick and then I'd start ordering desserts. And we'd have soufflés, which you'd have to order the minute you got there. 
chocolate molten lava cake, which you'd have to order the minute we got there because it would take an hour for each dessert. Each person would have a souffle and a molten lava cake right fucking in front of them for absolutely no reason because no one's fucking eating it. But I'm making people eat it. They're, they're like throwing up in the bathroom. They're coming back. If we had like throw up, like if it was a Greek orgy, you'd be able to throw up like Life of Brian. Like you go, I can't eat. I'm fucking foe. And then he blew up. Remember that movie Life of Brian? One of the Ronnie Python movies that was really, really funny. That type of meal. I would order creme brulees. I would order cheesecake. I would order... Cream puffs, it was just holy fuck. So September 10th, I always called in advance to McKendrick's, tell them we're rolling in, and they always gave me a private room. And the private room is always the best room there because I would walk in the place and the guy would love me because I'd immediately, you know, put 300 in his hand. I'd put 200 in the main chef's hand. I would put 100 in each waiter's hand. We'd be smoking cigars. We'd get fucking pot from the kitchen because obviously if anybody knows anything about a restaurant, every chef in the world that's worth his weight smokes pot. And all the cooks smoke pot. And the best pot in the world is not at dispensaries. It's not from the best drug dealers. It's from the kitchen at the top restaurants in the world. That is where you get the best marijuana. No two ways about it. No issue about it. So we would always go in the back and the guy would roll me a couple of joints and we'd burn him. So the point I'm making is, and you know me, I'm a degenerate. I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, I'm a gambler. You know, I'm a drug addict. You know, I'm a compulsive spender. You know, I'm a sex addict. You know the whole deal. But no one loves a good time like me. No one loves the pomp and circumstance more than fucking me. No one knows how to party like me. So I would plan this a week in fucking advance. Now, a lot of the employees that were coming to these parties would say, Stu, can we please, instead of the party, can you just give us the cash? Can you give us the cash? I'd rather have the four or 500 cash than blow 500 a fucking meal that I leave absolutely sick absolutely up to my eyeballs in food, in overindulgence. I can't even fucking breathe. And then we'd get all sorts of cordials. There wasn't a lot of drinking going on then. There really wasn't. I mean, after dinner drinks, we'd have some, but this, this crew literally weren't drinkers and they weren't even beer drinkers. And most of the people there didn't even smoke pot. I was probably one of the only people smoking the fucking pot there. I think it was me, my buddy Joe, and that was about it. So we'd have 10 people at the table, it would be straight. They were straight-laced people. They didn't drink, they didn't drug, and uh, I don't know their sexual preferences, but uh, there was no, there was never any sex going on there. There's never any girls, it was just food. It was a food fucking orgy. Because if I had to do it right, <clears throat> that's how I did it. I love eating. Eating's my favorite choice. You know, besides eat, licking clit and eating ass, I would say a big meal has to come right below it or really equal to it really equal to it. The, the double dessert would be eating ass and licking clit. That would be the double dessert, okay? But the meal I just described to you is how we rolled throughout the 80s and the 90s. So when I flew down once a month to my business in Georgia, that's how I did it. September 10th, 2001. No different than any other September 10th in the fucking world precipitated by no different from any other two, 2000, September 11th in the fucking world. Except for obviously this one. This was a little different. 
this changed the world forever. So here it goes. Leaving from LaGuardia Airport. And I rolled two motherfucking monster joints. Now, September 9th, my buddy, who I haven't seen in forever, comes back from California. And as it turns out, this guy was a complete fucking psycho. Sold kilos of coke in his day. And no one ever heard from him again. So we assumed he either got killed, shot, or he's in jail. All of a sudden, out of the blue, calls me up. Hey, Stu, I'm in town. What are you doing? Well, I'm in California, and I'm selling pot. I own pot farms. And at the time, obviously, pot farms are illegal. But everything this guy did was illegal. It was illegal what he drove. It was illegal what he did, what he drank. And that was his business. But he was moving like 500 pounds a pot a month. And in 2001, that's a lot of fucking pounds. That's a lot of motherfucking pounds. 500 pounds a pot a month. And it was supposed to be the best weed in the world. You know, everybody I've ever met had the best of everything. Best of everything. Best of everything. Everybody's weed had to be better than somebody else's. But this guy really was the real deal. Comes in and we get absolutely baked. I mean, motherfucking baked where we didn't even know our names. We were laughing. We were hysterical. Fell asleep with joints in our mouth. Woke up. Had burn holes on our chest, burn holes on our legs, ashes fucking burning our fucking legs. Wake up, keep smoking, smoking. So September 10th, I'm trying to be sort of straight because I have to have a meeting September 11th. September 11th, I said, fuck it. I'm just going to go to this fucking specific meeting. 2001 fucked up. So I roll two of the biggest fucking joints you've ever seen in your life. Now, when I say big joints, I mean Cheech and Chong fucking joints. I mean joints the size of a six-inch dick. Those are the type of fucking joints I'm talking about. I'm talking about joints that can get 20 fucking people stoned. 20 fucking people stoned. Not one, not two, but 20, okay? I have a very high tolerance for pot. So do most of the buddies that we ran with. We could just smoke and smoke and smoke. Even, you know, in the, in the June to July, we could smoke 10 straight blunts in a fucking row that would kill countries. We're fucking ready to roll. The only thing we do is we have hundreds of dollars worth of food bills afterwards because we munch. And we fucking munch like we fucking munch. We get the munchies and we fucking munch. And that's what we do. So I rolled two of the biggest fucking joints you ever saw in your fucking life. Get in my car and I drive because what I do is I come back the same day. So I drive that day, park my car at the airport, get on the plane. I get picked up at the airport. We go to the meeting. We eat like fucking Greek gods. And then I get back on the plane and I come home that night. Okay. So I leave my Farmingdale house. I get on the Long Island Expressway. Bang. Light the first one up. I'm fucking blazing. I'm so fucking stoned. I'm... And I'm just, I'm just saying to myself... I just want to jerk off in the car. I really want to whip out my cock and just come all over my fucking 
windowsill because this bud is just so good. Do you know when someone hypes something? Most of the time you let down. Anybody who ever hyped anything in their fucking life, to me at least, most of the time let down. Hey, I got a girlfriend, I'm bringing her over, she's a 12. She comes over, she's a seven and a half. Hey, I'm bringing this girl over, Stu. She's gonna blow you. She gives a blowjob that's a 10 and she finger fucks your ass. Okay, she gives me a blowjob, she's an eight. She finger fucks my ass, she has no idea what she's doing and my asshole almost bleeds, okay? So in other words, I know what it is. Hey, Stu, we gotta go to this whole house. We're gonna fuck these girls. They're all tens. You walk in, they're eights. Eight and a halves, eight and three quarters, but they're not the real deal. So 99.9% of the time, when someone professes the best, best ever, must do, has to be, most of the time, they're bullshit. It's good, but not great. Might be great, but not the epic, not the best, not ever. This guy's fucking pot was beyond expectations. Just like when you watch me on Snapchat, I go beyond expectations. When you watch Stu Finer, I don't let you down. I exceed expectations. I go above and beyond. That's why I'm Stu Finer and you're fucking not. And no one's fucking Stu Finer because I know what it means. My bar is raised so fucking high. My bar is at God level. If you're gonna tell me you're the best or you're gonna be the best, or the food's the best, or your drugs are the best, or your girl's the best, or your pussy's the best. It better be the best. Because my bar is fucking as high as fucking possible. My bar is as high as God. God is where my bar is. So don't tell me you're the fucking best. Don't tell me you have the best, you smoke the best, you drive the best, you live the best, you're the funniest, blah, 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 blah. Because most of the time you're gonna let me fucking down because my bar is really fucking high. But this guy's bud exceeded expectations. And rarely do people exceed expectations in your life. Think about your life. Think about how many people you know. Think about everybody that's ever said something that's supposed to be so good. Hey, let's go to this movie. Hey, let's go to the concert. Hey, let's go to a restaurant. Hey, look at the view. Let's go to this beach. Let's go to this hotel. Hey, let's go to Cabo. Let's go to Italy. Let's go to France. Most of the time, it's not great. It's good. It might be very good. Sometimes it's great, but it's not the best. Most of the time you say to yourself, it's good, but I've had better. It's good, but it's not the hype. Very hard to meet hype or to exceed hype. That's what I try to do my whole fucking life. I try to put the bar as high as possible and jump fucking higher. That's what I like to do. That's who I am. That's what people do. That's what I like to do. That's why I'm special. That's why when you listen to me or you watch me, you go, that motherfucker's a psycho. He just fucking goes for it. And that's why I do it. So again, and it's not to impress you. It's to impress me. Because I know what it is to live as high as you can. I did it in the 80s and 90s. I lived as high as fucking possible. I lived a king's life for over 15 fucking years. There is nothing I didn't do, I haven't seen, I haven't done. There is no place in the world I have not gone. And I did it 25 fucking years ago. So... I am not impressed with anything. I'm not impressed with anybody. I'm not overmatched. But this guy's pot 
blew me the fuck away. This guy's pot, I was fucking hallucinating on marijuana. I was literally seeing things. I literally thought I was fucking tripping and I'm driving. So, September 11th, 2001, I'm driving to LaGuardia Airport. Turn on the radio, jamming to some music. All of a sudden, they break in. And it's like... <laughs> we're being... It looks like we're being invaded. It looks like we might be at war here. It looks like a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. What? And I start laughing. I swear to God. I'm like so stoned. I'm hallucinating. I don't even know if what I heard was real. I don't even know if what I heard was accurate. They said a plane flew into the World Trade Center. I'm laughing. I'm hysterical. I'm like, I'm so stoned, by the way. I've already blown the first joint. I light up the second joint. The second joint is bigger than the first joint. Literally, I don't even know if my car is moving. It's like a Cheech and Chong movie. That's how stoned I am. I mean, I am blasted. I am about as stoned as any human being can be. That's not unconscious. That's not dead. That's not in a coma. If you can be in a stone coma and you can be functional, that's who I am. That's what I'm doing. I've already smoked a fucking joint that could kill an elephant, that could kill a fucking... A zoo! A fucking zoo! It could kill a fucking army! I've smoked it already! And now I'm on my second! And now I hear that some clown flew into the World Trade Center! I'm like, wow! I'm like, what a jerk-off! What a fucking idiot! How is that even possible? Wow! What the fuck happened? So I'm thinking... Only thing I'm thinking is, he must have the same pot. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, this guy, the pilot, must be stoned on the pot that my buddy is selling. Because how the fuck can you drive your plane through a building? Are you kidding? How is that even possible? Never heard that before. Never been done before. It's never been done by accident. Never saw it in a movie. Never dreamed about it. Are you fucking kidding? So I'm hysterical laughing. I'm in the car, fucking driving. I'm like, wow, that's the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Then all of a sudden, they say, a second plane hit the second tower. And now all of a sudden, like, I can't explain it, but I am so stoned that I really start getting paranoid because now they start saying that it's impossible for two planes to hit the towers randomly, that something is going on. And then all of a sudden, they start talking about that Washington, D.C. is under attack. That a fucking plane just went down next to Washington, D.C. So now they say we are at war and we don't know who we're at war with. And I'm so stoned right now. And normally, if I had a brain, I would put the joint out. But now I'm so nervous and I'm so paranoid. I'm fucking like, I'm fucking burning this joint. I'm like... I'm like fucking, I can't get enough of this fucking joint. I'm like smoking the second one to please smoke me into straight that I wake up and I feel asleep at the wheel of my car and I'm on the side of the road and I wake up and it's a bad dream. 
because I'm starting to get fucking scared. And I'm not talking scared like, holy shit scared. I'm talking scared like my ball sack is inside my belly. My dick has protruded inside my groin that if you rip my pants off, I had no dick. And I got a fucking almost 10 inch dick. So my dick is fucking a real cock. It's a real thick fucking cock, okay? It's almost 10 inches. It's almost three inches fucking wide. It's fucking a sight to be seen. Every doctor and every child and every family member and every doctor that's ever seen my dick says, congratulations, Stu, on your penis. Congratulations on your penis. Wow. What a penis. Wow, you are lucky. And I, you know, my whole life since I'm nine, I fucking heard it. So trust me, if my nine inch, 10 inch dick is inside my body, it's a sight to see. So if you ripped open my pants, I would look like a five year old girl's cunt where there's nothing there. It looks like a little slit. That's what it looks like. That's what it fucking looks like. Literally fucking looks like. And that's how I feel. And I'm scared fucking shit. And I'm sweating right now. Like, like my forehead is sweating. Like, I'm fucking scared out of my mind. And then they say another plane in Pennsylvania went down. And they're just out of control. Then I look up and there's smoke. Because I'm at LaGuardia Airport almost right there. And there's smoke. And I can see the smoke. And they say that the buildings. And then they start talking about terror. And they say that we're under a terror attack and terrorists. And then they start, you know, having these angles because no one knows. It's never happened. This has never happened. You know, after the fact, now we're talking about looking back, you know, revisionist 16 years later. Of course, you know what happened. But right then and there, stoned on the best pot possible. It was fucking crazy. I am fucking out of my mind. So now... I finish the second joint. I don't know what to do. I want to drive to New York City to try to see what's fucking going on. A, if I get help. B, it to see if this is a dream. Am I hallucinating? See what the fuck is actually going on here? What is going on? I don't have a cell phone. I have no cell phone in the car. So I pull into LaGuardia Airport. And this was the craziest fucking thing. So I pull in and there's nobody at like one of the gates that there's always somebody that meets you. There's no one there. So I pull in, pull in. There's nobody at this fucking where I'm supposed to park the car. So I park the fucking car. There's no one at the airport. I'm talking, there's not one fucking person. There's not an ant, there's not a squirrel, there's not a bird, there's not a mouse, there's nothing, zero. It's like a fucking bad movie where the world has just been wiped out and there's no one there. It's like the twilight zone. There's no one at this airport. When I say no one, no one. Park the car, get out. I'm like, holy fuck, what's going on here? I cannot believe what's going on. I go in to the fucking, I go into where like I'm supposed to get my, like check my ticket in. There's no one fucking there. I'm like, this is fucking crazy. I mean, and I just don't know. I swear to you at this point, I'm so stoned. I'm so wasted. I'm blasted. I'm like, I'm beyond blasted 
that I don't know if, if this is really real, if I'm dreaming, am I dreaming? Is this an hallucination? Did I not even leave my house yet? Am I still stoned from the two days before that I met my buddy? Am I stoned the day before trying to get sober for this meeting? I'm trying to think of the notes. I'm trying to think of what's going on. I don't, it's fucking crazy. Crazy. Finally, get to the payphone. Put change in the payphone. I call my wife. I go, honey, there's no one here at the airport. She goes, honey, you better get home. We're under attack. I go, by who? She goes, we're at war with terrorists. I go, are you fucking serious? She goes, yeah, Stu, I'm fucking serious. Get fucking home. There's no plane. You ain't going to Georgia today. Rest is history. Fucking drive home, listening to everything that's going on, blowing my fucking mind. I cannot, now, now she's validated that it's real. I get fucking home. I get home in time to watch one of the buildings fucking fall, which to this day was probably the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. Then the second building falls, which is the second worst thing I've ever seen in my fucking life. And it was the most vulnerable, scary moment to this day. Because at that moment, that meant that we were never going to be safe again. That on our soil, whatever evil, divisive mechanism just came into play that was played out, actually the bad guys planned this. And the bad guys succeeded. And they succeeded in a way that no one has ever succeeded before. Evil won that day. And really, we've never been the same again. And obviously, I lost some people very close to me. I was coaching football at the time. One of the kids on my football team lost his father that I went to Farmingdale High School with that they named the street after. One of the captains... Big time, big time captains died that day too. They named another street after him next to me. And it was a whirlwind of events that I don't have to tell you what went on. Everybody was touched from that forever and to this moment and to this day. And it's never been the same since. Actually never, ever, ever been the same since. And one of the craziest fucking moments of my life. So... We'll end it on that note. So, you know, to bring us back to a little bit of normalcy now, where it's a little apropos because you have the United States really almost at war with Korea, and both of the our leader and Kim Jong-il, is, they're, they're both crazy. Trump's as crazy as he is. It would not surprise anyone on this fucking planet if there was a world war tonight. Wouldn't surprise anybody if there was a world war tomorrow. It wouldn't surprise anyone if there was a war at any moment. Because North Korea is a bunch of fucking psychos. And they're dangerous. Mind you, they're dangerous. And they have nothing to lose. They have a child running the world there. 
and running his part of the world and threatening people with nuclear weapons. Threatening them with nuclear weapons. This isn't Russia. This is much more dangerous than Russia. This is some real fucking psycho. So in other words, it, you know, anything is possible. What we learned from that day, September 11, 2001, that the impossible is possible. That evil is extremely evil and extremely dangerous. And to the forefront of our hometown. Never thought it could ever happen here, but sure as fuck it could happen. And sure as fuck North Korea could do something real stupid at the drop of a dime. All they need to do is push fucking button. And you know what our president's going to do. He's dying to blow that fucking country up. He is dying to make a major fucking splash. And you would never want to fuck with Donald Trump. You do not want to put him in a room where his back's against the wall. Because he's going to push the button quicker than you saying, should you? That fucking button's pushed. He'll blow that fucking country up. Which means that they're going to be shooting at us too. So, God willing, I pray to God something happens good because I have no idea how it's going to work out any other way. But, let's bring it back. Let's take a deep breath. Let's think about all the good things in the world where there's a lot of them. There's a lot of good things to be grateful for, like our family, like our loved ones, like our friends, like the entertainment that we love. And one of the things that we love to do is gamble. And one of the things that I've loved since I'm a 16-year-old kid is to bet on sports. And it's my passion, and it's my love, and I'm great at it. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do, and it's the hardest thing in the world to be successful at. And I've stood the test of time for almost 40 years. Not four weeks, not four months, not four years, 40 years. I measure my success by the decade, not the week, month, or year. That's why certain people get insane if I go on a losing streak over a small period of time. I go, that really doesn't fucking matter. I've lasted 40 years. I've seen it all. That's why when I go on an epic winning streak and I can win for, which I did this year, April, May, into the third week of June, 11 weeks in a row, I didn't get ahead of myself because I knew eventually tide was going to turn and I'd have to sustain a losing streak because that's how it works. So we're in week three of the NFL season. And again, another eye-opener last night with the 49ers stunning the world and covering against the Rams and the game going way, way, way over the total, just like I thought it would. And this week in the NFL, week three, I'm telling you right now, I love it. I love these games this week. And I'm telling you right now, without expert advice, without a guy like me, you're going to get fucking killed. College football is hard, but not as hard. College football is only really one day a week. What are we talking about? You got Saturday. Now, you could get murdered Saturday morning and chase into Saturday afternoon and get killed Saturday night. And oh, by the way, I had an epic Saturday last Saturday. Tremendous. And I closed Saturday night out winning every fucking game. Five straight games. Sweeping the Saturday night card. Rolling into Sunday. Hitting the Ravens and the Steelers as my two-team parlay of the year. And then I won Monday night too. 
And then I want Thursday night too. So I know what I'm doing. Even when I'm on a major losing streak, even when I lose and it looks like I get embarrassed and you can go, Stu, how can you be so good and so bad? Because it's gambling and gambling can humble anybody. But the point is this, you stick with me long-term, you're in good hands. You stick with me long-term, you're with an expert. I enjoy doing it. I love doing it. I live at 724. I eat, sleep, and breathe it. There's nothing I don't know about gambling, about the odds makers, about the line, how they make the line. I power rate the line. I know where all the money is. I know what every big bookmaking operation is in the nation. They report to me and tell me what's going on as I tell them if I think there's certain pockets of money that shop or sucker. So it goes both ways. I know everybody in Nevada that makes the line in Nevada that runs the casinos. I'm on a first name basis with everybody because I've done it for 40 fucking years. Even though I look like a clown, I'm respected behind closed doors like you can't fucking believe. Trust me when I tell you. Trust me when I tell you. Now, on an entertainment side, I would say you should follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, because life is so stressful and life does suck for most of you and your lives will be only, only stressful. I relieve some of the stress by making you fucking laugh. And I make you laugh on Facebook and I make you laugh on Instagram and I make you laugh on Twitter. And on Snapchat, I'm second to none, which is why I get close to a million views a day. Why I have over 17,000 people a day watch 80 snaps a day. 80 10-second snaps, 17,000 people a day. And they watch them because I'm a quick escape from life. I'm a quick relief from life. I'm unique. I'm funny. And that's what I profess to be. I have a lot of talent. I'm excellent at what I do. But I'm fucking funnier than anybody alive. And I'm psycho and I'm not afraid to fail and I'm not afraid to embarrass myself and that's why I'm Stu Fighter! You're fucking not!